0: First Corinthians chapter thirteen, starting with verse number four, the Bible says, "Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself; is not puffed up. Doeth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own; is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you now." Lord, I pray, dear God, for our church today, dear God, that we would have a heart of charity. Father, I pray that in all things that we do, that we would never lose that desire to show a love both for you and to others, Lord God, as it is a desperate need today. Father, I pray for every person that's come this way, that you would speak to every heart, that you would touch every one of us. Father, I pray that you would meet the need of the hour and save that soul nearest hell. And Father, I pray that you would encourage and edify your church today, dear God. Help us to take your word from in these walls out to a lost and dying world and to show them the love of Christ. Father, we'll thank you for all this and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking here dealing with the subject, the absolutes of the Christian attitude there. We dealt with uh, the fact that Christian attitude, Paul's attitude towards daily living uh, that was seen in Philippians 3. And we come here to uh, 1 Corinthians 13 there, one of the most famous chapters in all the New Testament, definitely the defining chapter on love in the New Testament there. And we see that uh, Paul's attitude towards divine love. Now in, in verses 1 through 3, it was an attitude of supremacy. Love conquered all things. It was more important than anything else, any work that was done without love Was was worthless is what Paul was saying there, but in verses 4 through 7 now, what we see is love's attitude and it is an attitude of sincerity. The Bible oftentimes, many times scripture works as a mirror. It it points out to us when we look at it earnestly, when we, we look into that mirror earnestly, it points out to us what's out of place. It points out to us what needs to be corrected. Now, when Paul comes here and he begins to speak there in verses 4 down through verse number 7, just those four verses there, Paul gives uh, virtues of of God's love there. What what, what makes it pure, what makes it good, what gives it integrity. Uh, He points out those things there that make it real and divine love there. Now, he lists 15 things. 15 different things that should serve as a mirror as to how we are serving God and how we are loving uh, not only Him, but how we are loving other people. There are 15 different things, 15 different areas, so to speak, that check and, and look at and point out to us the sincerity of our love for God. It tests the motives of our love for God. Friends, that is something that ought to humble us today when that mirror reveals a fault. Reveal something that that where we fall short, it will reveal that motive in our heart there. Again, God knows not only what we do, but He knows why we do it. When we look at these 15 things, we can put them in three categories this morning. I want to take the time to look at these. I want you to notice, first of all, we see love's behavior and it is shown by its temperament. It says in the first part of verse number 4, Charity, or love, suffereth long, and is kind there. Notice that we see there, love's temperament towards people there. When it says, charity suffereth long, it means love is patient. Patience, as you have heard many times, that old saying, patience is a virtue. We, as human beings, are not geared, naturally, to be patient people. Amen. We want things, we want it now, one of the, the hardest things to do, even especially for a Christian is to wait on God. If we're honest, many times we may want something and we may want it right. It may be a good thing. But God may say, not right this second. He may be trying to teach us something and causing us to wait there. And that patience is very hard. Now, as we look at this word here, the Greek word that is used there is a word there, macrathmeum there. And what it means is a patience towards people. Never towards circumstances at all. It always deals with our dealing with other people. Our patience towards other people. Not towards the circumstances we go through. The Word actually describes a person who is wronged and has it well within their ability to avenge that wrong but chooses not to. It is a word that actually describes God's dealing with man, and how that He shows us mercy when we don't deserve it. Friends, the Bible says in Luke 23 and verse number 34, Jesus hanging on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen. Many of us, if we're honest, and we give, our, we give a true answer, not our church answer, but the one we have when we're, we're out in the world, if somebody does us wrong, we immediately want to get even. That's natural, natural human nature. Someone hurts us, we want to we, we make sure someone wrongs us, someone, someone does something to us, we want to make sure we get ahead, get even, even get ahead on things. But friends, that is not a defining factor of God's love. God's love there, when it says it is patient, it means it, it, it deals, it, it is slow to anger. It is uh, something that, again, when you have the ability, that's, that's what really marks it out there, that's what really sets it apart when we have the ability to get even. It's well within our means. We can handle it. We can take care of it. We can get ahead. We can make that other person look bad. And yet we choose not to. Because we love them. And to take it a step further, you say, Well, preacher, I don't love that person that did me wrong. I don't love but do you love the Lord today? Because if you love God, then you want that testimony to reflect Him. And anything we do and anything we say is a direct reflection on our Lord there. And that ought to be the defining factor many times. Not how we feel about it, but whether or not it honors or dishonors God. That's a hard place to be. That's not easy. That takes surrender. Again, when we have it within our means, we think about the disciples Uh, over and over again. the reaction, James and uh, John there, uh, the brothers, they said, "Uh, Lord, would You want us to call down fire from heaven? He said, do you know not what spirit you're of? Jesus said, I've come not to destroy. He's come to give life there. He's come to give mercy. He's come to save, not to condemn. He come there and Peter there, when they attacked the Lord there and they came into the garden, what was Peter's first reaction? To draw that sword. And he struck Malchus, the high priest's servant, cut his ear off there. Friends, that was his first reaction to get even or to get ahead. And Jesus leaned over and healed him. Friends, many times it's easy to get even with someone that's done us wrong. And many times we feel good. You you hear people talk about, well, I won the argument. (laughs) Friends, no one wins an argument. You may get the last word in. You may have, have hurt that person's feelings more than they hurt yours. But you haven't won anything. When we show the love of God to someone that has wronged us, friends, it's easy To love God. It's easy to love the people that love us. It's easy to be good to the people that are good to us. But when we reach out and we love those that have done us wrong, that that is when we start working for the Lord. When we reach out to someone that has treated us wrong, when we go to that person that knows you're a Christian at work or in your school, and they look at you, and they talk bad about you, and they mock you, but yet you still witness to them and love them and treat them right. I think about uh, reading a story, Abraham Lincoln. I believe he was one of the most godly presidents we ever had. Very simple man. But I think about there was a man by the last name of Stanton. That man was his. Uh, became his security advisor, became one of his his top war officials, if I'm not mistaken. But this man hated Abraham Lincoln. Start out, hated him. Mocked him. Went in there and he, he talked about somebody that was going uh, over to... Um, the Congo over to Africa looking for, uh, for uh, studying gorillas and apes. He said, I don't know why you've gone all the way to Africa. You didn't have to go any further than Springfield, Illinois. There's an, He referred to the president in, in such a derogatory term. Abraham Lincoln, as the president, no doubt could have responded to this. No doubt could have taken vengeance on this man. What did he do? He made him his chief, he made him his chief uh, war officer. You say, preacher, why would he do that? When, when Abraham Lincoln was, Lincoln was asked... Why he did that? He said because he's the best man for the job. Now later on, after President Lincoln was shot and assassinated, they brought that body into that that, uh, hospital room there and they're looking over it and this man Stanton that at one time hated President Lincoln was standing there and he looked at that body and tears running down his face. He said, there lies the greatest leader America has ever seen. Now what changed him? It was the fact that he realized that there was a sincere love in the heart of Abraham Lincoln. Friends, what affects the world outside around us? What affects the lost that are out in this world? is not us going down to them and saying, Hey, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and beating us down, uh, beating it down their throat. They know that. You don't have to go to a drunk and tell them they're a drunk. They understand that. You don't have to go to a drug addict and say, hey, your life has become worthless. They know that. Many of them are trapped in that. Yeah. They need to hear that somebody loves them. Amen. Talked to one of our church members this morning. He stopped over at, at the Dollar General. Came to a woman holding some flowers. And he asked her if the flowers were for her church. And she said, no, I'm going to the graveyard. She said, my 29-year-old son overdosed. And I'm taking him and putting him on his grave. Buried a 29-year-old kid. Her husband overdosed just the year before, same way, and died. Now, friends, if we went to that kid, the 29-year-old kid, and said, Listen, you're a drug addict. You're no good. You're a drain on society. What good would that have done? But if somebody came to that kid and said, Listen, I love you. And so does Jesus. And came there and said, let me tell you about a better way. Let me tell you about a man. Friends, I know. I know it's hard when somebody's done you wrong. I've been done wrong. I've had people talk bad about me. I've had people treat me bad. I've had those that I thought were close to me turn their back on me. But it does no good to hold a grudge. It doesn't, hurt, it doesn't help me or help them at all. Friends, we need the love of God. To reach out to people, we need to be patient with people. A love that reaches beyond that even though we have the opportunity to take vengeance, we choose not to. That's the kind of love that makes an impact on people's lives. You say, preacher, I'll never forgive that person They did me so wrong. Friends, what you are doing is you are dishonoring God. Let that sink in for a minute. You're not accomplishing anything for the cause of Christ. You are dishonoring God by holding on to a grudge. Because if God can forgive them, how much more should we be able to? Yeah, well. I can assure you, they've not done us as much harm or as much wrong as they've done the Lord Jesus Christ. Those nails that went through His hands were from our sin. That cat tail that repeatedly went across His back and across the body of our precious Savior was not because He had done wrong, it was because we had. That that cross there, that forsaking of God there was not because Christ had earned it, but because we had, and yet He loved us just the same. said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You say, Preacher, what was the effect of it? I think of a couple right off the top of my head. The thief that hung on the cross beside Jesus. He saw the mercy of Christ there when they mocked Him and they spit on Him. And they hung Him and they said, If you're really the Son of God, come down and we'll believe you. And yet He hung there humbly. He didn't strike them down. He didn't curse them. He hung there humbly. And something was so different about that man, about the Lord Jesus, that that one that hung on the side of him, he said, Lord, be merciful to me. He said, Lord, remember me. Christ said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He had that effect. One of the Roman soldiers. Friends, I don't know if you know anything about the Roman culture at that time. These were not not caring people. These were not compassionate people. These soldiers, as we can see there studying the crucifixion of Christ there, these soldiers were masters in the art of, of torture. They knew how to beat someone within an inch of their life. They knew how to inflict the most pain possible. And they did it repeatedly, day in and day out, they'd inflict that most pain possible without that person dying, and then they would hang them on the cross and watch them suffer. You had to be, uh, you could not be a caring person and go through with that job day in and day out. They watched that. They enjoyed those things. And yet, when that one soldier stood beside the cross and watched Jesus give up the ghost, he said, Surely this was the Son of God. He didn't say that because Christ called down fire and vengeance there and righted himself. Jesus said, There, he said, when he looked at Peter. And he told him to put that sword away. He said, thinkest thou that I could not now presently call upon my Father and He'd send me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the Scripture be fulfilled that thus it must be? What he was saying is, Peter, I don't have to go to the cross. I don't have to die. I'm choosing to. He said, because otherwise you have no hope. Now friends, he didn't have to hang there. He didn't have to suffer. But he did so in such a way that that Roman soldier saw something and said, surely, this was the Son of God. I think about Stephen. When Stephen was being stoned, and instead of calling down cursings on those that hit him with those rocks and, and, and cussed him and, and watched him as he died there, he looked up he said, Father, forgive them. And Saul was standing there. The Apostle Paul, the very writer of, of 1 Corinthians 13, stood there and watched as Stephen was stoned. No doubt that sunk in his heart. Something from that radiated in his heart. That love that Stephen had for God and that love that Stephen had for the lost radiated in his heart so much so that it changed the Apostle Paul and later on that man uh, made a claim there in Romans 9. He said, I could wish myself accursed. For my brothers, say He said, I love them so much. They've done me so wrong. They've persecuted me. They've imprisoned me. They, they, they've taken everything I've had. Uh, they've stoned me. They've beat me. This side and the other. He said, But I could wish myself a curse. What he was saying is, I would literally go to hell if it would save those. That's a love beyond any recognition. Friends, the love of God is wonderful inside this church. And we ought never to come together where we're not in one accord. I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not going to have a part in a church that, that, that we can't get along with each other. That's nonsense. But the love of God does no good if it stays in these walls. We look around here and and we don't have to go to another state or to another country. We don't have to go into the depths of and the hearts of, of Africa and, and and all over the world. Thank God for those who would. Thank God for those who are called to do that. We need missionaries. But friends... Bassett, this town. There are people that are dying and going to hell and they need us to care about them. Too many Christians have said, well, so-and-so did me wrong. God help us. How many times since you've been saved have you failed God? How many times since you've been saved, not before, but since you've been saved, can you look and say, preacher, I failed God today? I don't know about you, I can't speak for anybody else here, but every day, I hit my face and say, God, please, before I ask anything else, Lord, please forgive me of my sins because I know I failed you somewhere. God, help us. That Bible says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every time we come, Every time, there's not a time that God says, nope, I don't forgive you this time. He keeps on, keeps on having mercy, keeps on showing forgiveness, and He brings us right back in the fold. And the Bible says, He takes our sin and casts them behind His back into the sea of forgetfulness. As far away as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. That means He not only forgives us, but He doesn't bring it back up. That's mercy. Amen. That's grace today. Friends, can we do the same? To those who are lost. We're called to. Not only does it talk about love's temperament towards people. But notice secondly it talks about love's temperament towards practices. It says Love is, excuse me, charity suffereth long and is kind. That word kind simply means sweet to all. It's appealing. The Bible says we're to be the salt of the earth. Right. You think about the, the purposes of salt today. Right. salt gives flavor puts a good uh, you add it to the, your food it, it puts a good taste to it friends we're to leave a good taste in the mouth of people we're to have a good testimony among people salt is a preservative alright it, it preserves corruption from coming in on, on foods and everything friends you and I stand in the gap between heaven and hell for folks We're to be that preservative. We're to stand there and we're to pray for them. We're to intercede on their behalf. We're to witness to them and to love them and to reach out with the Gospel. Salt is also a cleansing agent. The Gospel cleanses the heart. Friends, the Bible is is very clear that the, the, the rebuke of a friend is better than the kisses of an enemy. That we are to go in there and with love reach out to those who have stepped out of the will of God. We're not We're not their judge. But when we come with a heart of compassion, hey man, you, you, let's get back in the house of God. We haven't seen you in a while. Hey man, I'm praying for you. I know you're going through a lot. We're not sitting there running them down, getting on the phone. Well, so-and-so's out of church. I knew it wouldn't take long. So-and-so's back in this. I know it wouldn't take long. Friends, we're to love them. That love in practice there. Uh, love is to be kind. is to be tender to people. Friends, in the heart of many good church people, I'm talking about in the heart of many good, saved people, there has formed a callous spirit. There has come a callous spirit there of criticism and cynicism and bitterness there. And we look and we focus, if we're not careful, we look and we see what is wrong with the church. And we get to the place where all we can see is what is wrong with the church. That's exactly where Satan wants you to be. That's exactly. What He wants you to be doing. Look around and see the fault and the failure of everyone else and why it's not working right. Friends, do you realize today that the church is what Christ died for? We are the virtuous, spotless, perfect bride of Christ. We're not perfect because of us. We're perfect because of Him. And God help us to look at the things that are good within the house of God, within the church, the body of Christ. Friends, no church is perfect, but I'll tell you what, Northside is a good one. Northside is a good church. I love it here. We see God work here. We come together in a spirit of unity in one accord. doesn't mean there's not disagreements. That's human nature. But it does mean we work through those things. And it means we come together with a desire to honor Him. Friends, we have got, got, got to see the need of love, the, the love of God for a lost and dying world. We have got to see the need. We have got to get past the place where we look at somebody and think, oh, this person doesn't deserve it. None of us do. It is a, it, that's why it's called grace. It's unmerited. It's unearned. It's undeserved favor. And we've got to take that out to a lost and dying world. Friends, we are seeing people all around us that are dying and going to hell. Think about that for a minute. Hell is as real as I'm standing before you. A place of absolute horror where you step out to, and there is no laughter. There's no joy. There's no relief. There's no other chance of mercy. It it, it is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a constant consciousness. Uh, 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 Someone in hell is constantly, uh, they are conscious for all of eternity the fact that they had the chance to hear the Word of God and refused it. It is utter darkness here yeah, I've heard people so ignorantly so very ignorantly make the comment well if I go to hell I'm just going to be down there partying with my friends understand something there is no party there are no friends down in hell utter darkness you can't see your hand in front of your face now please tell me who you can think of that you'd want to see go there not for a day not for a week Not for a month or a year or a thousand years, but for all of eternity. For the first time, truly separated from God. you realize the lost today are not fully separated from God? God's given them breath in their body. He's he's provided for them. They have life that is from God. When He convicts their heart, that's God's grace knocking on their door. They're not completely separated from it, But the moment they take that last breath, unsaved, unredeemed, they will be. Friends, that ought to be a sobering thought to us today. Love is patient. Charity suffereth long. That means, it, it, it means when we're wronged that we don't dwell on that wrong. But we turn around and we look for an opportunity to love them. I said it's, it's really easy to love somebody that's good to you. It's really easy to love somebody that treats you right. It is extremely hard to love somebody that has done you wrong. But that is exactly what God is calling for us. I love. And you say, oh, preacher. Preacher, you know, I love the the Christian. I love this, that, and the other. Friends, you realize that even the Christian needs that same kind of love today. I think about Peter, and we'll close with this this morning. I think about Peter as as Peter was at, he was at, uh, he was the spokesman, the unofficial spokesman for the disciples. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. But Peter had a heart. He had a heart for God. God used him to do things that many of us, uh, w- we mock Peter sometimes, but he did a lot of things that you and I probably never do. But I think about old Peter. When he failed God. Not once, not twice, but three times. So much so in the last time he called down cursings. That's, again, that, that phrase "cuss like a sailor. Where it comes from. But old Peter, when he thought all hope was lost, He said, I go fishing. What he was saying there is, I'm going back to my old lifestyle because God can't use me anymore. Jesus is gone. We watched him be buried. And I failed God. Friends, do you think about if God would have left Peter right there, the last thing he ever would have remembered was failure. But boy, aren't you glad when Peter was out on that boat, God came to where he was. That's love. That's love. He came there, had that fire burning, had the food over there. He looked at him and said, Peter, lovest thou me? Peter confessed that sin. He said, Lord, you know I love you. But thank God God didn't stop there. He said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. He restored him. And he did not leave him in a sense of failure, but he picked him up. And he loved him. If we're honest, many of us, if you've walked with God any length of time, you've gotten cold on God a couple of times. You've gotten out, you've failed God a couple times. Imagine what it would have been if He would have left you right where you were. Imagine the testimony that would have been lost if He would have left you right where you were. But boy, God's love and God's grace came right by and picked you up. And he restored you. That's the kind of love we need today. That's the kind of love that God is calling for us. Not just the preachers, not just the missionaries, not just the evangelists, but He's calling for every one of us here at Northside Baptist Church to have. That kind of love that looks at the drunk and says, listen, I know you're in a bad way right now, but God loves you. That kind of love that looks at a young man or a young woman who's had loose morals and been all around and been in trouble and says, listen, God loves you. That kind of love that goes out to that one that's strung out it's so God loves you and God will save you. Friends, the only answer for this world today it's not in a program. It's not in, in anything the government can provide. It is in the love of Jesus Christ. And the only people that have the love of Christ are His people, His Christians. I ask you today, what will you do with that love? What will you do With that love. Do we have that love today? Do we have that kind of burden that looks past the exterior of people and sees the soul? If not, friends, I don't care how religious you are, if you don't have that love today, we are outside of the will of God. And we need to get back where He can use us. Let's all stand this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Miss Deborah's coming to, p- uh, to the piano, play him Invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Friends, I don't know what is going on in your life right now. I don't know what kind of sin you do or don't have. But I know God loves you.